just going to uh, read today uh, Titus chapter 2. So if you've got Bibles with you, if you'd like to follow along, and uh, that's where we're going to be um, spending our time today. Titus chapter 2. Paul writes, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and sound of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. For the grace that has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. These then are the things you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority do not let anybody despise you and we pray heavenly father through your word and by your spirit we ask that you would speak to us this day for your glory and for your honor in christ's name amen now, since New Year's Day, um, we've started this little um, mini sermon series, and uh, it's called Just for Starters. Uh, it actually comes from a, a little book called Just for Starters, um, actually first written way back in 1979. That's, that's almost older than I am, you know. Um, it's an older book, but it's got some great foundational truths and I think it would be just appropriate for us at the start of 2023 just to get some of the the the, the big things out there at Lismore Baptist Church as to what we uh, believe and uh, what we uphold now uh, the last couple of weeks so so Paul back on New Year's Day kicked it off this just for starters series by looking at what it means to be saved by God and uh, last week, thank you, Steve, uh, you picked up trusting in God or, or living by, by faith. Um, and as you can see here, that the, the actual book has uh, seven different uh, topics or, or chapters. 
in January here, we're just going to look at the first four. So as you can see, we looked at saved by God and trusting in God uh, a fortnight ago and last week. Today, we're going to be looking at living God's way. And there's a reason why this is framed this way, what it means to be living God's way. So if you were here last week, thank you, Steve. We would look at what it means to, to live by, by faith. And we looked at a particular, we, I wasn't here, but as a church, we, uh, looked at a particular passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 10. And I'll, I'll read this again because it's important that we launch from here. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Is that what happened last week? We looked at that. What it means to, to live by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, notice here, it particularly says we are not saved by good works. You know, you're not saved by turning up for church on Sunday. If you thought, if I come along each, each Sunday and, you know, participate in church every Sunday, that'll get me into heaven. No, no. Oh, you've got to go on the roster as well. <laughs> By being on the roster, that, no, no, that's, that's a heresy. So, um, no, those sort of things won't get you through. Reading the Bible every day won't get you through. It's very, very helpful. All of these good works won't save you now in this particular passage it actually says that we are god's it says handiwork we, we're god's masterpiece he's created us and he's continuing to sculpture us like an like an artist who's continuing to work on his handiwork his masterpiece and yet it's through grace or by faith that we are saved now there's a couple of problems or errors that we can get ourselves into when we go down this path. If we just look at this particular passage and we go, great, great, I'm saved through the work of Jesus, job's done. One of the errors is this. The error is that there's no need for obedience because we know we're forgiven. And if we know we're forgiven, um, then what's the point of obeying? If salvation is the free gift, there's no need to turn from sin because if we sin, we are forgiven. So why not just keep sinning? That, you know, keeps to sort of say Ephesians 2 implies that it doesn't matter what we do after that. Now, there's numerous passages in the New Testament that really seek to address this. One example is there's in Galatians as one, but if Romans chapter 6 is another that addresses this whole issue. We've got to realize that our Christian life, our salvation is more than just escaping hell. It's got to be more than just escaping the, the, the separation from God. So that, that first error is people say, well, there's no need for obedience if we're saved by grace. The second one is a little bit more subtle. The second error is making salvation dependent upon a repentant life. Now, that gets a, a little bit complicated. Repentance is important. It's, it's part of the process where we, we come to Christ. 
um, surrendering our lives, turning around. But this error requires us, and for many people, to continually repent to maintain salvation. We acknowledge that salvation comes by grace, but so often, here it is, we, we tie the assurance of salvation to works. It's subtle, isn't it? But it's an error. Therefore, works become necessary because we're not going to have an assurance unless we, we tie it up with good works. And it becomes a condition for maintaining salvation. A classic example of this is, you know, if I was to make an appeal at the, at the end of this service and a particular person comes down the front and says, I've sinned this week, I need repentance. And we, we pray and then what happens? Next week, they come back again. I've done it again. And I need, because I, I need an assurance of my salvation. Now, can you see what sort of a life that would be? That if repentance was, was continually required in order to maintain salvation. It's been once done and for all. And we don't need to continue to come and confess in order to maintain an assurance of our salvation. That is the second error. First one, no need for obedience. And the second, making salvation dependent upon a repentant life. Now, we've just read Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, along with a number of other passages, helps us set the right path. Now, this letter, this letter of, uh, and the book of the New Testament, Titus, was written by Paul. And it was written to Titus, a young man in Crete who was planting a church. And its primary focus for whatever issue that Paul was addressing in the life of Titus and in that church in Crete at that time was the importance of godly living. Now, the key part of chapter 2, I want to read again, and that is verses 11 through to 13. So we'll read this passage again and use this as sort of the cornerstone of the passage today, of the sermon today. Titus 2, 11 to 13. <clears throat> for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly uh, passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to unpack this a little bit. Firstly, as you can see, just like in Ephesians 2 last week, we're using the word grace. Okay, Grace is the, the un, un, unmerited action of Jesus Christ that gives us something that we could never deserve. Now it says here very first, there's two uh, uh, actual mentions of the word appeared. The first one here, it says that God has appeared and offers salvation, really referring to the first coming of Jesus Christ, the very first time. We can see here in the middle, he talks about the dangers of worldly passions worldly passions amongst other things ungodliness and the like and you could refer to yourself and say am i involved in any world it doesn't just mean you know sexual or immoral or anything essentially one of the i think one of the best ways that we could describe what worldly passions are is anything shaped or driven by the world that's not of god as we live in this broken world that's just driven 
by an agenda that's anti-God. Anything that we uh, follow that is shaped or driven by that that's not of God, you could define as a worldly passion. It talks about the present age. Some people get a little bit confused and they go, oh, it talks about lives in this present age. We're talking about, you know, 2,000 years ago. Now, essentially, when they talk about the present age, is the age in which we live between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So just as Paul, 2,000 years ago, was alive in the present age, we are also in this New Testament present age. Does that make sense? That's where we are right now. And as you can see, it's book-ended as it comes down while we wait for the appearing of the glory, which is obviously the second coming of Jesus. First coming, second coming. Here we are in the middle of this. And we have the blessed hope. Now, I found it intriguing as we look here, where we refer to uh, Jesus with regard to this, in Titus, so just the next chapter, Titus chapter 3, verse 4, we read this. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, that's just in the next chapter, it refers to God, our Saviour, appeared. And then just two verses later in Titus 3, verse 6, it also refers to the generosity through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. The writer here, Paul, is, is building on this because really he's referring to the statement he made previous to this in chapter 2 where he talks about Jesus Christ who is our what? Our God and our Saviour. Jesus Christ, our God and Saviour. And that is so important, so important. And I think too often we gloss over when we talk about our, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, what that means. If we merely refer to Jesus as our Saviour, okay, He died on the cross for us to pay for the penalty of our sins. If we merely refer to Him as a Saviour, we really have no further obligations, do we? Imagine if I'm swimming down uh, between the flags at the Lennox Head main beach and I swim out too far and I get myself into trouble and I go, someone help me and a lifeguard on the beach comes out and grabs me and brings me in. Otherwise, I would certainly have drowned. That lifesaver is my saviour. He's, he's saved me from death. Now, do I have any other obligations to that person? Well, certainly I would be thankful, wouldn't I? But beyond that, I might send him a Christmas card. I might give a donation to the Surf Life Saving Club. I could do all of those sort of things. But there's no other obligation, is there? No. He's just, he's, the lifesaver is my saviour in that regard. But here's the difference. Jesus Christ is not just a saviour. He is Lord and saviour. He's the one who saved, but he also, through that, provides a demand on us as to how we respond to him he is as god or as lord now i'm not going to go through verse by verse but if we look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2 we see a a clear description paul writing to titus 
uh, as he leads this church in Crete. He's giving instructions for living. And he says, older men, you need to be sober-minded. You need to be steadfast. Older women, you need to be reverent. Younger men, self-controlled. Younger women, loving. He talks about slaves, or we could talk that out as, as workers. You need to be trustworthy. So he gives some clear instructions of the expected behavior of, of godly living within followers of Jesus there in, in Crete. And that leads then into verse 11, which is what we've been focusing on. And when we're focusing on verse 11, we notice verse 11 starts with the word for. Why does it start with the word for? Because Paul gives the reason from verse 1 through to verse 10, all of those instructions, kicking off into verse 11, he says for, which is the reason for good behavior, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what it teaches us. God's grace is more than just a ticket to heaven. It's more than just to sort of say, okay, I'm going to escape the fires of hell. He has rescued us because he's got a different plan for our lives, being Lord and Savior. And so if I was to sum this all up into one little statement, it would be like this, the key. We don't live a new life of obedience in order to earn our salvation but because of our salvation. We don't live a new life of obedience in order to earn our salvation. In other words, we don't engage in good works so that we can be saved. We know that we've been saved through grace and now as a subsequent to that, a response to that, we do good works. It's a bit like if an orphan has been adopted into a family. The orphan would be expected to contribute to family life. But they don't base that, uh, those good works, that service, in order to maintain family life within that family. The grace of God at work is leading us to a new life. And, and Paul, again, in um, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it's, it's kind of a little bit apt at the moment. My daughter is in Corinth. And I'm thinking about this right at this very moment. Um, and Paul writing to the, the people in Corinth. That does take on new meaning, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says it quite clearly. Just doesn't mean that we can just live whatever life we want to live our salvation frees us from the slavery to sin or self-gratification you know there's there's people who say i just want to be free to do whatever i want to do you know what that does it makes you a slave to your own selfishness doesn't it so there's got to be more to freedom than just that we are saved into freedom not the freedom for our own selfishness but freedom to live for christ and we read here, as Paul writes to the, the people in Corinth, as we get to know Christ and his love, his love will transform us and compel us into a different life. And it should be day by day, we become more and more transformed into the likeness of Christ. So let me ask you this question. 
How does that work out for us? Good works. You're on top of it all. Works out. Everyone's a little bit quiet here. It's a bit, ooh, I don't know what to say. Two steps forward, two steps back. We think we're on top of it and then we fall into patterns of sin and selfishness, whatever. The question is, where do we get strength to live godly lives? Now, I've already spoken about the fact that as, as we come to the realisation that it's Christ is our Lord and our Saviour, the more we get to know Him, the more He will transform us. But so often have we found ourselves trying really hard to live godly lives and, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, no problem at all. Friday, Friday was a bad day, you know, and I just found I got back into bad habits. I got grumpy. I had a bad attitude. Jill was talking about that before. You have a good attitude, you have a bad attitude. We find that we start, you know, doing things we know doesn't please God. We can get really discouraged. It's important to talk about the work of God's own presence. And you know, one of the greatest news out of all of this is not only do we have the word of God that guides us, we also have the presence of God, his spirit within us. How comforting is it to know that God's spirit is there? So the question is, how do we get the strength to live good and godly lives? The realization that we are not left to our own devices. But for all who have embraced the grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, for all who have surrendered to him, his spirit is working within us, enabling us, empowering us, leading us to live a godly life. Now, there are numerous passages within the New Testament that talk about that. I'm just going to just briefly talk about one chapter and I'm not going to go through this whole chapter because it's a, it's a long chapter but I think it, it gives us a great deal of help and that's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 starts off by saying in verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! There is no condemnation because the grace of Jesus Christ has, has, set, us, has set us free. Verse 14 of Romans 8 says, we're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves. You know what Romans chapter 8 says? We're no longer slaves. You know what? We're, we're children. We're children of God. And Romans chapter 8 says, we no longer have to refer to him as this far off God. You know what? Romans chapter 8 says, we can call God Daddy. One of the most intimate words that you could refer to another person daddy abba as it says in the bible because of who we are now positioned within the family of god verse 22 says creation is continuing to groan under sin we're in this broken world and verse 25 says we wait in hope we wait in hope as as children of god in this broken and and vile world and in verse 26 it says these words, it says, the Spirit, though, helps us in our weakness. How many of you feel weak? Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. I think we're being honest. We feel pretty weak. The good thing about it is, is that when we're weak, 
we're not on our own weak. We're weak, but we're also in the presence of and empowered by God's own Holy Spirit. And so in some ways, we can, as, as Paul also said, we can boast about our weakness. Yeah, I am, I am weak. I'm the weakest person around, but I tell you what, I have living within me God's Holy Spirit. And if I've got God's Holy Spirit, in, in some ways, the weaker I am, the stronger He is. Paul also said that, 2 Corinthians. So the thing about it is, it's, it's not that it should automatically happen. I think most of the time it's a realisation that we do need His help. We can't do it on our own. And we need to say, God, I need you to help me. Help me to live a life that's honouring you and glorifying you. What did it say in that passage? Seek, um, as it said here, uh, as Paul talking to Titus, he says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. It will honour what we say and what we believe, what we teach. But we cannot do it on our own. Later on in verse 28, Paul writes, God works for good, Romans 8, 28. And in verse 37, he, he wraps it all up. So saying, you know what? We're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors, able to conquer everything around in our lives, not because of our own inert strength, but because of the Spirit of God working in us through the grace of Christ and empowered by His Spirit. So I'm going to ask this question. As you reflect on this passage this morning, what is it in your life that you are struggling with? Titus 2 talks about worldly passions. Let me, let me break it down into simply an attitude that I'm not good enough. I feel just lazy and, and tired. I get discouraged. I get a bad attitude. I get angry. We can go on and on about different things that go on within our lives. But if we truly want to reflect the call that God has upon our lives to live good and, and godly lives, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation, in response to our salvation. What is it that God, by His Spirit, is speaking you today about? So I'm just going to ask if we can just maybe close our eyes, if that is the, the best and most appropriate thing to do. And we just want to say, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. We thank you for His love and his activity that has secured our salvation by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that incredible gift. We no longer need to strive for heaven. We no longer need to strive for salvation. The work has been done and we praise you for that. But as we read in 2 Corinthians, that this, this love, this grace should compel us to live godly lives as it continues to transform us, as we, we keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus. We see your goodness and we respond to that. 
we seek to follow you in all things yet heavenly father we know that living in this broken world and responding to and resonating with the attitude of the world we fall short we're not perfect but we can't make excuses and we say that we're sorry that we've taken our eyes off you and in particular areas of our lives as each as individuals we we think of areas of our lives where we fall short we thank you that you have given us your holy spirit the holy spirit of god living within us empowering us teaching us correcting us we ask that you would um, strengthen us through that give us an awareness of your spirit's work within us empowering us to live the kind of life that you've called us to live we thank you for all that you have done continue to guide us day by day week by week as we as we look forward to what you got for us in 2023 we just pray that we will live the lives of the high calling that you've called us to not in our own strength for we've all testified that we are weak we are broken to a certain extent and we just ask that you through your spirit will empower and guide us as we seek to serve you And we pray this now in Jesus' name.